Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Gentlemen, we're finally back for another episode of East Meets West, and we've finally taken a found a moment in between all the G1 stuff that's been going. Little, uh, to bring you a little uh, bonus episode of East Meets West, covering everything non-G1 going on in New Japan Pro Wrestling, because there was so much going on at once that it was hard. It would be hard to cover all in one episode. So before we get to the end of the G1, and we bring you our what I'm assuming will be a mammoth G1 in like a week or so's time we thought we'd bring you this little extra episode to cover kind of the best of the rest of what's going on in New Japan and we're really you're hearing this probably on a Tuesday uh, because uh, this Sunday we showed in force going up and we wouldn't want to draw any attention we wouldn't want to conflict and because our feature show went up on a Monday thanks to the, the draft we thought we'll, bring you, we'll still give you content to enjoy to listen to going about your day this Tuesday but uh, as usual, I'm Scott McLeod, joined by Graham McRobbie. Hello. Hello there, Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're, uh, you find, managed to find the energy with keeping up with the G1A. Join me for this recording. Yeah, I mean, absolutely unreal schedule. It's, it's brutal just trying to keep up with watching it, never mind taking part in it. Yeah, and like New Japan, the news does not stop. When it comes to New Japan, they're announcing things all the time. And the finals of the G1, as we were discussing before we started recording, are on the 18th. I thought they were on the 19th, but I forgot. They started on the 19th and got the 18th, so it's almost an exact month they're going on for. And then on the 23rd, I believe, is when the Road to Power struggle starts, which will be on the 7th of November. So things are just continuing on in Japan. And it doesn't get easier at the end of the year, because on the 15th of November it starts. Uh, we've been, there'll be a joint tour where both the best of the Super Juniors and World Tag League will be happening on this one tour. Grant, before we talk about the actual schedule, how they're going to work this out, what were your immediate thoughts when you heard about we were getting Super Juniors and World Tag League? Uh, I was absolutely buzzing because I was really worried, like, you know, are we going to even get either of these tournaments in before Wrestle Kingdom? Um, Because they are always a part of the big run-up to what sets up that whole Wrestle Kingdom schedule. Um, mm-hmm. Well, if anything, best of Super Junior usually happens that early. It doesn't. So, to see how that's going to change the field, it's going to have some interesting implications. Yeah, usually we would have already had uh, best of Super Junior to create a, a challenger for the Junior Heavyweight title at Dominion, but obviously this is not a regular year. It's obviously it's probably going to be taking the place of the Super J Cup that we usually have around this time a year for the Juniors. And obviously, World Tag League is. Probably won't feel different. This would probably be around at the time of year we'd be getting ready for World Tag League. And I mentioned this on Central. We mentioned it very briefly. That this is probably the case of like they are going to have Wrestle Kingdom in some capacity, and so they're wanting to like like 
set up the next week challenger for both the heavyweight titles and the junior heavyweight title, and they think they found a, a way to do that. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's it's going to be cr- it's cramming a lot in, but they're really they're doing such a good job of making up for the time that we lost during lockdown during the sort of the start of the pandemic, and they've done a really good job of keeping the fans and the talent safe throughout this so far. Yeah, definitely. I remember at first when I heard of this, I wasn't immediately thrilled. Not that I don't like, uh, I don't think they'll have good matches, but it was just a case of like, oh god, more tournaments because I keep saying like. You get a new tournament announced almost every other day with New Japan, and now we're getting two in the one tour. Like it's hard to keep up with the bloody G One at the best of times. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's it. It'll be interesting to see how the fields are affected with this, the way they've the, the way they've coordinated it. Will we still have full size like we normally get, or will they go with a slightly reduced field to make it up? Mm-hmm. I was thinking that I, I thought the G One would probably just have like one big like block and not two separate ones where everybody would fight each other because of like the idea of like not being able to use every all of their top guys and they managed to bring in Jeff Cobb and just Robinson, Jay White and have two blocks so I figured they might find a way to do it for Super Juniors and World Tag League uh, I have here the schedule of how they've announced they're going to do it on the 15th of November the, uh, they'll have the opening night of both tournaments on the same show the participants from both tournaments involved and then starting from the 16th onwards uh, they have World Tag League participants only and then on the 18th best of Super Juniors and then rotating nights as the tour goes on right up until uh, Fugoka on the 6th of December where it says basically final league night where I'm assuming this will be the block finals of both tournaments and then on the 11th of December uh, both tournament finals will happen, so the World Tag League final and the Best of Super Junior final on the uh, same show at the same time. We'll be interested to see which one of those they have as the actual main event of the show. But again, it should be exciting, and I'm uh, interested, Grant, who do you, do you think they'll be able to bring in people that we haven't been able to see in Japan in some time for this tournament like they have with the G1? I think the way they've been going about it, I think we're going to see faces reappear that we've not seen in a while outside of the uh, the US shows and the interesting thing with the best of Super Juniors is the first time the final has been in the Budokan if I remember correctly it's Chris Charlton pointed out it's like 21 years since they last had a, a final in the Budokan so it's a, it's a, it's a historic venue um, in Japan and I think we are going to see a lot of people come in that we've, we've kind of missed or haven't seen as much of with what's been going on um, maybe even some potential surprises if you look at Twitter there's been some people talking about it, but whether it's just them throwing it out there or if there's any grounds to it, it could be interesting. It's also interesting, I'll go back to who could be in it, it's interesting it'll be who won't be there in terms of like Osprey and Shinko Takagi, they were the finals of last year's Best of Super Juniors, but now both men are firmly within the heavyweight division. I'm not even entirely sure if Sho will be involved in it because he seems to have his eyes set on joining the heavyweight division, he's been getting mixed with the never titles, but he's like for now still billed as a junior. I think he may have his eyes, one eye firmly placed on being a heavyweight at some point. Uh, do you think that they'll be able to make up for like the lack of, like do you think they'll still have enough star power without big names like Shingo or Osprey? Definitely I think they've still got enough top juniors um, to fill that field and they've never been sh- short of um, getting people in from other places. 
mm-hmm. thinking that show might eventually go heavyweight. I also got that wonder if Hiromu could be headed, could this be his last best of Super Juniors and make the jump to heavyweight as well because he is looking built these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of disappointment when Hiromu wasn't announced for the field for uh, G1. And like when you look at New Japan Strong, which we'll talk about later on, the people there that you could do is you've got likes of TJP, ACH, Rocky Romero, those type of people. You've got Taiji Shimori, the current junior heavyweight champion. You've got some potential names, like you said, from elsewhere you could bring in for this. And somebody whose journey, I think, when they actually do this tournament, it'll be good to, interesting to follow, depending on what plans they have for him, is uh, Master Watto for his first best of the Super Juniors. Yes, yeah, I'm I'm expecting big things from him because I mean they've done a really good job of sort of like building up his sort of debut when he came back from excursion. Um, he's had compared to some other returns from excursion, he's had more mixed results compared to the likes of uh, like when Jay White came back, for example. Um, kind of similar in a way that they went for big belts but didn't quite stick the landing, but. Uh, you know, I think Wato is going to be one to watch for this tournament because he's. I, I wasn't sold in the gimmick at first, but I'm really, I'm sold on him in the ring. Mm, I don't see him winning it, but I do see him getting some major like upset wins over some like top like maybe some former champions he could pin, and maybe even get to one of the block finals, but then just fall short. It would be a really good story to tell for him. Uh, in terms of World Tag League, it'll be nice to see. Dangerous Tigers face some teams that aren't the bloody Golden Aces for once. I know, I mean, I'm, I'm actually glad the Golden Aces team is, for all intents and purposes, over at the moment because there's only so many times I can watch Zack Sabre Jr. tear Tanahashi apart, as fun as it is. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to getting, uh, I think, for me, one of the big ones I'm looking forward to is G.O.D. coming in mm. um, to go against Dangerous Tigers because... G.O.D.'s pretty much been the standard bearer for the heavyweight tag league for for the heavyweight tags for so long and I, th- I think they've now got a team that's got that dangerous streak to give them a really hard time. Yeah, at least if, there, if there's two blocks and Golden Aces are brought in, please put them in opposite blocks from dangerous checkers. I want them as far away as possible. But, uh, again, on Central, when we brought uh, this to, I really mentioned it briefly because not everybody on that panel was really well up on uh, New Japan or everything that's been going on. But I did briefly theorize, is this where we see the New Japan return of uh, a couple of good brothers? Oh, no, that, that's one that I would be totally behind that. I could, I could totally imagine the good brothers making their, their, re, their return to Japan. Um, it would be interesting to see if they immediately brought themselves back under the Bullet Club banner because they've still got some of the OGs there that they get on with. Or could they come in and really, really spark a, 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 really ignite something and even go into a feud because they're the originals and they're going up against the new, the young, the young guns that have kind of taken over from them. Yeah, and obviously they are signed to Impact Wrestling at the minute. They have said previously that their deal does allow them to work in Japan. They work their New Japan dates around the taping schedule for Impact. And what will be interesting in terms of like whether or not they're going to be able to go for this tournament is that they are booked to be part of a big four-way for the tag team titles in Impact uh, next weekend uh, at Bound for Glory. So like, if they don't win that, then I think it's more likely because if they won that, 
uh, that the tag titles there, it would be unlikely that Impact would want a other uh, tag champs just disappear from television for a month. Yeah, that's it. They would need to they would need to really utilise their tapings well to make sure they don't have a gap without their champs. Mm-hmm. Um, for two the both the two tournaments, there was a couple of tweets which I think you know it could just be people just you know tweeting it out just for the the hell of it. But I mean, one person was uh, Orange Cassidy tweeted when as best of the Super Juniors, which it clear it did ignite a lot of people getting interested going. Could this be? Because whereas AEW and New Japan don't have that working relationship, there's a lot of rumours about that changing. Whether it actually happens, we don't know. And the other one was Evil Uno tweeted about World Tag League. Could we see the Dark Order, the, the original two, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson enter? That would be one I'm very interested in. Uh, Orange Cassidy and New Japan, I'd like to see how the Japan like audience would react to someone like Orange Cassidy, like, get him and Toriano in the same ring together, please. Like, I don't care if they're both different weight classes, just get them somehow, some way for them. Like, they two for the KOPW 2020 title, what stipulations those two would suggest? Oh, that would be absolute chaos. That, and I also love the idea of Orange Cassidy against Taguchi. (laughs) There could be some pure comedy in there. Yeah. uh, like the possibilities are just endless, but you talked about AEW. I think the talk of the AEW New Japan relationship we've mentioned in previous episodes. I think talks have reopened again amongst fans after this most recent story that Harold uh, May has now stepped down from his role as president of New Japan, and uh, Takami Obari, I believe I pronounced that right, hopefully. Uh, who was re- originally president of New Japan of America, is now stepping in as acting president of uh, the company. And it seems weird that this happened right in the midst of the G1. This big story just broke, and it wasn't at first getting as much attention as you'd think it would get. Uh, and apparently it was, this is something that's been in the works for a while, him stepping down. And uh, apparently he did cook ruffle a few feathers. Some people were kind of questioning Harold's uh, understanding of the wrestling business Although I think a lot of people do credit him coming in as the first non-Japanese president of the company for like some of the uh, ideas that have come in that have helped with kind of the more international expansion of New Japan, including the introduction of the uh, the US title and the the US brand. Yeah, I mean there was there was talks about him that they had tendered his resignation quite some time ago, and it was being sort of that kind of big business. It isn't just a case of you just walk out the job and someone else takes your place. It did have to be carefully planned and just the timing just so happened to be where it was as to where what direction this will take New Japan going forward that'll be interesting to see because the, they are their leadership does take a, a big interest in things but they're not as publicly noticed as the likes of your McMahon's involved with WWE in that because they generally you don't see the authority figures in New Japan on screen anywhere like you do with mm-hmm. other promotions mm-hmm. I've uh, seen some people realize that are we going to see New Japan take a step back uh, from how they were under Harold and less like bringing in elements from like what you'd, you'd expect to see a more Western wrestling. But if uh, the person, if uh, Takami wasn't the person put in charge of New Japan of America, then he must also believe in uh, like the idea of New Japan expanding its audience base. So I wouldn't say it would be a full kind of step back from New Japan. 
I do think maybe some noteworthy changes will occur in the next year or so. Yeah, I think there's going to be some big changes that will happen. Um, obviously, I get the feeling that the pandemic's really changed the like the new the US stuff's kind of stepped up quite a bit. But I'm wondering as things change and the likes of Ring of Honor are starting to return back a bit more than that, you know, their their big competitors are starting to come back. Is that going to impact on their ability to expand over the next year? Mm-hmm. And around the same time, the stories were reported. There was a I think came out from Meltzer that he'd heard from a, an AEW wrestler who was not named, but they had worked in New Japan before. And this, according to Meltzer, there was, this wrestler was quoted as referring to Harold as an idiot and saying that we all want a, a relationship between AEW and New Japan. Uh, no really ideas yet as to who that person uh, could be, but I'm sure people have a lot of these given the connection of like, you look at the AEW roster and think who's worked in New Japan before. Yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of big names that you can just throw out there without even thinking much. Uh, Jericho, um, mm-hmm. done his work with New Japan. Omega, the Bucks, uh, even Cody. You know, but you can actually throw in like some of like they're pretty much their top names. Uh, then you've got like say Lance Archer and stuff like that as well, who have worked under New Japan during the time of Harold May, mm-hmm. and are now AEW. Mm-hmm. You about I would like to see like AEW like for the like crossover between two like for tournaments certain AEW people coming over like maybe best friends coming over but I did remember hearing rumours when Trent left to go join AEW there was word that he'd given his word to New Japan and he'd re-sign and then he left so I don't know if there's still bad blood there uh, and then the idea of like people coming over like you've seen a, a video message from Tanahashi who Jericho defeated at Wrestle Kingdom he sent a video message for Jericho's like 30th anniversary this week on uh, past week on Dynamite, and he says I want to do it again. And like Jericho, when he, after he won that match, and his post match comments was very blunt and saying like we need to like put all our differences aside, think about the money we could make from this joint relationship. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of people when Tanahashi appeared, that was um, that got the rumor mills going. But the uh, the talk is that um, Tanahashi had done it off his own back. There was no involvement in New Japan. He has great respect for Jericho, and he was actually the first person to send his video to Jericho he'd done it within two hours of being asked hmm. well, that's just how nice a guy he really is but you know obviously the story is kind of still developing so any new developments we'll probably mention on this show in later later episodes but we're going to go back to something that feels like ages ago but we talked about New Japan Road which happened was one of the last thoughts on the way to the G1 over the course of the last couple of New Japan Road Road shows we had a kind of a mini tournament, uh, basically the closest we'll get to the Super J Tag League this year, where we had a fourteen kind of round robin tournament uh, to crown new junior tag team champions. After it was, it was deemed that Yo's injury will keep him out from uh, an undetermined amount of time, so Rapongi Tiki won't be able to defend the titles within the allotted time that New Japan like needs its champions to defend them in. So we had Suzuki Gun represented by. Uh, Desperado and Kanamaru, we had Master Wato and Taguchi, we had uh, Bushi and Hiromu, and we had Ishimori and Giro representing Bullet Club. Each team would face each other at least once, and then the te- two teams with the best scores faced each other in the finals at Corgan Hall. Uh, Grant, what did you think of this kind of mini tournament they put together? I felt it was it was a good idea um, when we knew that it was they were going to have to vacate the junior tag belts. 
um, I didn't want them to be forgotten about until like Wrestle Kingdom, you know. So it was good that they put together this tournament. Um, Wato being put with Taguchi, um, as I've referred to before, the Ass Masters. Um, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely brilliant team. The chemistry between the two of them was outstanding. Um, and I would like to see them team up again in the future, but I'd also like the idea of seeing them tangle in best of super juniors. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the teams were, you could say, almost expected. You, you had... You couldn't have a junior tag t- title tournament without Kanemaru and El Desperado. Um, Ishimori having the team with Gedo was to me the surprise since they couldn't get ELP. Um, obviously travel issues there. Um, and Bushi and Hiromu, it's been a long time since they tagged together, but I, I loved seeing them together and hearing that they had new music and everything together. I was like, oh, oh this has got my interest. You just reminded me there just how much I miss ELP. He was just he was such a good heel. I miss him. I hope he. I hope they will get him back in when they do uh, best of the super juniors. Because actually, I remember at the start of the year, he was one of my my picks to at least make it to the finals this year of best of the super juniors. Was the LP, you know, because he'd won like uh, the super J Cup the year before. You know, I kind of miss him. But yeah, like Wato and Taguchi, I thought like the two teams that made it to the finals were Hiromu and Bushi versus Kanemaru and Desperado. And I thought the finals going into it would have been one of those two teams against Wato and Taguchi. Because, uh, like, in the f- first night of this tournament, you had Wato and Taguchi beating Suzuki kun, kind of getting some revenge on, like, the power of Wato for his loss at the Summer Struggle Tour against Karamaru. But uh, it wasn't to be. I mean, Gedo took all the losses for Bullet Club's team, as, as expected, given that Ishimori is the new junior heavyweight champion. He keeps him strong. What was also surprising is that they had uh, Desperado and Kamaro and Bushi and Hiromu fight each other the night before the final and because they hadn't fought each other yet, Desperado and Kamaro win and then that sets up their records and they're 2-1 for both teams to fight the following night for the titles and then Suzuki can beat them again. Yeah, I mean, that's, I was I was surprised. I thought, right, Suzuki can got the win to set the final up but I thought there was going to be some redemption. I thought... Mm-hmm. Maybe Hiromu and Bushi will get the, the junior tag belts since Hiromu's dropped the, the singles title. But alas, it was not to be. It was a it was a really hard fought final. Um and I do believe that, you know, thinking the long term it's probably going to be the better choice because as I mentioned earlier, Hiromu could potentially go heavyweight the way he's looking these days. So you want to make sure that you've got a team that you can rely on on the, on the long term. And El Desperado and Kanemaru definitely fit that bill. It's just getting enough tag teams to face them on a regular basis. And that's sometimes what I think they lack is their junior heavyweight tag division can sometimes feel a bit lacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely. Because like, this tournament really highlighted how under this current pandemic and with Rupongi 3K temporarily broken up due to Joe's injury, how lacking in like depth the junior tag division has right now, and so probably the wisest decision probably was Suzuki Gun. But which is a case of I may have mentioned this a couple of weeks back on the podcast, but when Hiromu wasn't announced for the G1 and he was in this tournament, I thought, okay, and they still have plans for him. the junior division, he'll probably like win the titles alongside Bushi because Bushi's won the belts before with Shingo. But they only had a very brief frame because they had bigger plans for a shingle. But I thought, given the chemistry that Bushi and Hiromu had been shown during the tour, like the kind of colour coding with the half and half mask that they'd been wearing and everything, because 
Bushy's mask had been on point that entire tour, and then they kind of lost. And not only did they lose, but it was Hiromu kind of taking the pin after like the right hand and two pinchy locals from El Desperado as Bushy was being held back and just couldn't. He was so close, but he just couldn't get there to break up the pin. Yeah, I mean that's the the pinchy local. What a finisher! It's absolutely stunning to watch. Mm-hmm. Like if I had to guess, I think maybe. They might be setting up for they're going to hold off to Wrestle Kingdom for the uh, Ishimori Hiromu rematch. Maybe they'll have Hiromu win the Super Juniors to get to him. Yeah, I mean, if 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 they're not going to put Hiromu to the heavyweight division, then to me, Hiromu winning best of the Super Juniors would be the right choice. Um, mm-hmm. If it hadn't been for um, Suzuki Gun winning. I would have actually thrown El Desperado as a potential winner because if you look at his match like with, with Shingo, for example, for the openweight belt, mm-hmm. guy, guy can throw down, even with the heavyweights. Andrew said, I think these guys are kind of a reliable team to hold on to those belts for now. And maybe like the last the thing with Kanemaru and uh, Master Watto is a more of a long-term thing than we thought. And maybe they'll hold this off until Wrestle Kingdom where maybe Watto and Taguchi can face them again there and this time Otto can like get his first big like title win in New Japan like the idea of him having like ups and downs and not immediately pushing them to the moon as they usually do with people who come back from excursion Yeah I mean I totally love that idea of like um, I could see them sent up through the best of Super Juniors by having Taguchi and Watto pick up individual wins and mm-hmm. say Taguchi beats Kanemaru and Watto beats El Desperado and the two of them go, well, we'll beat one each. Let's mm-hmm. do this together. Yeah, because, like, you always think, like, given that once they do World Tag League and Best of Super Juniors, they're probably going to have, like, one or two road to uh, Tokyo Dome shows, but then that's the New Japan calendar done for 2020 up and, until they do Wrestle Kingdom in January. So they need to find a way in the Super Juniors to set up the junior tag titles as well if they're going to feature those belts on the show and New Japan do like to get every title on the show yeah it's not a Wrestle Kingdom without pretty much every belt being defended with potentially depending on how things go in the next couple of months potentially we may not even see the US belt but more than not the first or second match is the junior heavyweight title they're usually relied upon to be on the under of the card to really help set the tone for the for the show to come yeah, I mean, that's the, the junior tags. Sometimes they're not the longest matches, maybe going only about 10, 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. But they're fast, they're fast. They get people hyped up, they get the energy, and it is brilliant to watch. Yeah, definitely. And uh, talking about titles, some other titles that finally feel like they're getting some importance again is uh, the six man tag titles, as on the final night of New Japan Road, the same night we had the finals to crown the new junior tag champs. We had a rematch of the finals of the tournament. We had a while back to crown junior, uh, the never six-man tag champs, where we had the champs uh, Yoshihashi, Ishii, and Goto uh, defending against the team that they defeated, Sho, Yano, and Okada. And I thought it was quite interesting that just like they were basically a rematch of the tournament final right before the G1. Maybe they wanted a a high, a big like match to go home on because like they got Okada involved. Uh, and they said that during the tournament, the nights leading up to this match, there had been some tension between uh, faction mates between Sho and Ishii uh, because Sho didn't like the fact that he's the one that lost for his team 
against ECE for them to win the tag titles. And they end up doing the same like finish, but Shul showed a lot more fire, fire and he was getting right up and throwing strikes with ECE. Yeah, I mean, that that was, it was one of those ones because like Chaos, um, these Chaos matches being pretty much your face vs face, sometimes mm. it's kind of, um, it, it can be kind of hard to buy into because whereas the other factions, when they go inter faction warfare, whether it's Suzuki Goon v Suzuki Goon, LIJ v LIJ, they just go for it. Sometimes you think Chaos kind of hold back, but Ishii and Sho, it was absolute war between them. Absolutely brilliant to watch. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. Like the way they were like showing a lot of like stuff between Ishii and Sho, and then Sho took a lot from the the other members of that team. Like he took that double like reverse GTR, like right down under his jaw, right down the knee of Goto. He took a lot a lot from Ishii. And like the idea of him mixing up with the heavyweight so much, I think if he is going to be in Super Juniors, that may be one of his last times in the uh, junior for a while. I don't know if they're going to like hold off on him going heavyweight and like wait for Yoti to come back and give Roppongi 3K another run. But, you know, it seems like big plans are in place for sure. Yeah, I mean, definitely, he's 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 had a, he's had a lot of a spotlight um, between sort of like from the New Japan Cup onwards. Um, hope that. Like the rematch that he got with Shingo um, for the open weight belt, absolute stunner. Um, mm-hmm. Tangling with Ishii, tangling with Goto, maybe tangling with Yoshihashi, but you know, that's kind of one that's forgotten about. <laughs> uh, talking of Yoshihashi, we shouldn't talk about like too much of the, the G1, we're saving that for our next episode, but like Yoshihashi suddenly has gotten this like renewed confidence all of a sudden. He's getting, a, he's getting more offense in against people you wouldn't expect him to, people you'd expect to easily beat him, he's getting wins over people you wouldn't expect him to in the G1, just like where did this Yoshihashi come from? Yeah, I mean this, this is something that I've kind of joked about in the past with a few friends that they watch it as well and it's like, Yoshihashi seems to turn up for the G1 makes me remember him, then goes in a completely unforgettable year after it and then does the same again, rinse and repeat I was like, what is going on? Why, why can't he be like that the whole year round? I because like, like you look at his moveset, like in the butterfly lock, especially that looks like a a really like really good submission move, and like you think somebody with a a, a submission move that effective would win a lot more, but it's just strange. And honestly, hopefully this does continue for Yoshihashi. I think him and Ishii will probably team together in a World Tag League as they did last year. I remember last year they got a win over Buddy Girl of Destiny, which I don't think a lot of people could have foreseen at the time. Yeah, no one saw that coming. Uh, I mean, that, that would be a team. If not Yoshihashi and Ishii, my, my other money would be on Ishii and Goto entering as a team. It's two kind of like powerhouses. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about Okada, he didn't actually do much in that six man tag. He was just kind of there. The main story was, was with Sho. Uh, our own uh, Sarah Grieve, who also likes to keep up with New Japan, uh, uh, she made a, a thing in our group chat where she said that she was not a fan of uh, Okada's uh, money clip submission move. What are your thoughts on uh, the money clip? I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I'm liking the purpose of it for his story. Um, for the whole, like, uh, Okada is going through this kind of weird phase after dropping both belts um, earlier in the year and kind of trying to find his way back to the form that he was on 
Japan. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if we get him in World Tag League teaming with Yoshihashi. I've had a th- thought about that. Oh. Because they drew, they drew a lot of parallels the fact that Okada came in about the same time as Yoshihashi. Okada went straight to the top. Yoshihashi lost it. And they might fit something in there to kind of have the two of them tagging together for World Tag League. It's a, a potential team that I could see happening. I uh, I, I actually like the, the money clip as a submission move, and especially for Okada, because uh, wrestlers who have a particular submission move, their matches always seem to have a purpose. It's working a particular part of the body because that will best let them set up later on for their submission move. And also a big complaint I've had with Okada, and I've heard other people say as well, that the idea that he does a, a, leap, a leaping tombstone to set up for a clothesline as his finisher, whereas if he's using the tombstone as a set-up for a submission that usually targets the neck, that makes a lot more sense. And his matches actually build into something. And I've actually found Okada's matches, not that I didn't enjoy them before, but there's something about these matches now that I actually enjoy them more since he's implemented the uh, the money clip. And like you had the story, like Kevin Kelly saying, that like, there are moments where Okada probably should have went for the Rainmaker instead, but he went back to the money clip, and he even made comparisons between Okada and Tiger Woods in this aspect. Yeah, and I mean that definitely makes sense, and that's why, as much as I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the move, it does a, it does a great job with that. Like you're saying, it, it sells the whole tombstone before it because I, w- I was never really a big fan of the Rainmaker. It, it just didn't. It wasn't protected. The amount of people that would kick out the Rainmaker was just mm-hmm. like for a guy that's maybe your top. I want I want a move that's going to properly put someone away. And the yeah. Rainmaker never quite done that for me. The only time it ever looked devastating is if he'd done it to a junior because he's like twice the size of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, you look at Baggett's uh, New Japan Cup run, they did everything they could, even though like he'd never used the submission before then, they did everything they could in that tournament to make this seem like a devastating move. Like the story with Hiromu, like you're, when Hiromu was slowly but surely like fading and you were begging for him to get out of it, but he just did it. They just couldn't get out of it. They really made this submission mean something. Yep. So I mean, on that on that job, they've sold me there. If it, if they if he wasn't like picking up wins without submission, then I'd be like, what is the goddamn point in this? Mm-hmm. But the thing yeah. is, he is actually pulling it off. Mm-hmm. And it shows that okay, it's not just going to rely on the same kind of moves all the time because he does get paired to like a Japanese version of Cena. And the big thing with Cena was he had like the five moves of Doom. And it wasn't until the end of his career that he started like trying new things, whereas Okada's still in the kind of prime of his career and he's trying out new things. Yeah, I mean that's it. The um, the the character change, um, sort of the subtle differences. It's it's this is my this has always been my favorite Okada. Is like after he drops the belt, like what happened when he dropped it to Omega, he just seems to have a bit more fun when he's not got the pressure of having to carry the company on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, I do think it's a matter of time before he is in the title picture. I don't think it will be obviously at Wrestle Kingdom. I think he could be a strong shout for the first challenger to whoever the heavyweight champion is after Wrestle Kingdom. But while while everything's been going on in the G1 over in Japan, in the US, New Japan Strong has been getting has been going strong, ironically. Uh, every week you had the Fighting Spirit Unleashed Tour, and then you had uh, Lions of Break Crown, and then they've even announced a new tour, uh, the Never Tour. They haven't given us much information about it. I think it's just basically so far what we can expect. 
We're going to have matches we don't think we would have seen before. We're going to have juniors facing heavyweight. Uh, at time recording, they haven't announced any matches yet for that for that show. But uh, I'm interested to see what uh, what they have in store for us. Yeah, I mean that's like them announcing the Never Tour was like I was like, ooh, it's an interesting name choice for it. Could mm. it could it be leading to setting up a a possible open weight title challenger for Suzuki? Could be. Uh, also, we had, in that fighting spirit unleashed. Yeah, sure they had. They had we had some really strong like matches uh, in that tour. We had on the first night. Uh, Jay White taking on Flip Gordon and uh, Hikaleo, the uh, the younger brother who, despite the, uh, despite the fact that he's younger, fucking dwarfs both members of G.O.D. Uh, and also on the Saturday night we had Kenta retaining his uh, U.S. title shot briefcase over Jeff Cobb due to, as I put in all caps, as Kevin Kelly would say, that goddamn chase of wins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those matches were... Um... They were they were actually really good. I was quite surprised that Brody King took a loss to Hikuleo, but um, at the end of the day, Hikuleo is in New Japan, and Brody King was just kind of there to to really keep things going because Ring of Honor was still out of action at the time. Um, but I mean, it, it makes sense having like two big guys because Brody King is huge, but he also moves quick for a guy his size. He is an absolute phenomenal wrestler to watch because he's just he's absolutely terrifying. Massive. I, I do think Hikaleo needs to reconsider his choice of uh, finisher. I'm not quite sure what his finisher is maybe. It's meant to be some like elevated sort of slam, but he, he, like, the first time he hit it was on Brody King, who I think is a bit too big for that kind of move. If he's hitting it on a smaller opponent, I think it would look better. They keep setting it on people who are maybe a bit too big for it, even though he is a big guy. Yeah, I mean, that's it. there's still a few things to, to be worked on, and I, I wonder if part of the impact is that it was an excursion, and his excursion kind of got turned short by the mm-hmm. pandemic. And I'm wondering if you know there should have been more time on excursion. And I mean, I'm a big fan of him. I really do enjoy watching Hickory will go. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I think I think once he's got that a slightly stronger finisher, he's going to have the full package because he looks the part. He's a big guy. He uses it. He uses it well, and his his character work is actually really great. Hmm. Yeah, uh, we had Jay White defeating Flip Gordon, which also you'd expect. And also now that we've seen Jay White's performance in the uh, Aziz Kong at the J1 tournament, he needed obviously a win in his first proper like singles match back to set him up for a big run in the uh, the G1 tournament. And then Jeff Gold, uh, the big story of his match this weekend is now he's got a, a knee injury that's been heavily taped up and has been the target of many of his opponents throughout the course of the G1 itself. They're using New Japan Strong to help further advance stories for the G1, which uh, is very smart in New Japan's part. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, like um, Cobb coming in New Japan Strong. I thought maybe it was just a, a brief appearance there because he wasn't really signed anywhere then. Apparently it came to light that, no, he had signed with New Japan and entered the G1 uh, without going too much into his G1 run so far. But um, I'm definitely getting sold on Cobb. He's looking great right now. Um, his his match with Kenta for that briefcase after he after the low blow that he suffered during the American New Japan Cup, it was it was a fantastic rubber match even with goddamn Chase's shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cobb and Kenta have got really good chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, 
they do they do have a great chemistry. I think Bullet Club has been running a kind of rough shot on New Japan Strong. I think it's been the story of the early run of New Japan Strong that Bullet Club have kind of been dominating. You've got uh, Kenta with that briefcase. You've got guys getting involved in each other's matches. G.O.D. had their first couple of matches back as a team. It's been nice to see them team together again. Uh, and then you also had this big like, 12-man elimination match on the most recent episode where you had Hikaleo, Chase Owens, Tonga Loa, Tamatonga, Kent and Jay White taking on David Finlay, Jeff Cobb, Rocky Romero, TJP, ACH and Carl Fredericks. And basically it's a case of like you could be eliminated from the match by going over the top rope by pinfall or submission. Uh, they've done this once or twice before in New Japan. They usually do it on like road to shows, I think. But this was a really fun like match. This may have ended the last night of Lions Creek Crown over the Lions Creek Crown final. And I can see why, because it was such fun. Like, you had Jay White getting eliminated first, which I don't think anybody would have uh, guessed would happen. Yeah, I was not. I did not foresee that that elimination happening in that way or what, but it was... I quite like these, um, as they do in a lot of the road shows, these like, tag elimination matches, because, you know, it, it means that like, a team can win, and the other team doesn't necessarily lose credibility, because there wasn't anyone getting... Pinned. There wasn't a submission, wasn't a count out. It was just a straight old fashioned over the top rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it was so great. It surprises that the order of elimination that happened. Yeah, like you had Tamatonga going out early. Uh, I think Rocky and Meron Car Frederick were some of the first to go out for their team. Uh, David Finley didn't get involved for a lot of the match until the end. I don't know if that's maybe because of a potential injury he's dealing with that we don't know about. But it came down to like Chase Owens and Kenta against him. Uh, he managed to take advantage of some miscommunication to get rid of Chase Owens and then he managed to eliminate Kenta which I believe is meant to set up a future match for that briefcase between those two a rematch of the New Japan Cup USA final but what's also interesting about that is that based on something that happened in the G1 one of the first days of the B block uh, it looks like uh, Finley's partner Juice may also have a case for the uh, the briefcase as well so both members of Finn Juice potentially want a shot at Kenta. Yeah, I mean, you could see it as soon as um, Juice got the pin over Kenta and he was Kenta was holding on to that briefcase for dear life and Juice was pointing at it going, that, that's mine. Because mm-hmm. we know we know Juice has got unfinished business with Moxley. He wants another crack at him. Yeah, Juice... And, over, sorry. And I'd say I, I would not say no to that match, but also the idea of Kenta vs Moxley as well. Either way, I'm a happy guy. Yeah, I think just over the last year or so since like he won it from Jay White and then had that feud with Cody and then won it back and then feud with Moxley. He's been one of the main guys in that US title kind of division, so it's always nice to see him in the mix. And obviously we'll hopefully finally see Finn Juice back together for the first time in a long time when it comes to World Tag League, the defending champions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's uh, Finn just getting back in the mix is going to be is going to be brilliant because they were a, they were a really good tag team, and it's just a shame what happened with them with the tag belts and that. You had that whole them God Golden Aces kind of triangle, and mm-hmm. I, I felt I felt Finn just got a little bit short changed at the time. But you know, this could be a good time to build them up again using World Tag League, um, possibly even set up for a, a title shot at Wrestle Kingdom. Who knows? But a lot of stuff, good stuff happening in New Japan Strong. I think they're keeping like things interesting with that US title briefcase because again they don't know when 
uh, John Moxley's going to come back. But also, the final thing to talk about is the big story of the last couple of weeks has been Lions break crown a tournament between some of the younger kind of up-and-coming guys that they've got that they've been showcasing on uh, New Japan Strong uh, and basically a little tournament kind of similar to what they had with the uh, kind of a lightly young Lions Cup they've had before. Like You had some guys who are slightly relatively unknown to more of a wider audience. You had likes of Logan Regal, DKC, Clark Connors, Daniel Limelight, Barrett Brown, Jordan Clearwater, Blake Christian, Adrian Quest, all fighting. I don't know what it is they're fighting for. They did, the winner did get a trophy, but you guys think that some big plans are in store for the winner. Uh, before we get into the actual results, what were your thoughts when you heard about the announcement of this tournament? I mean, it felt quite sort of out of nowhere, but at the same time, I know that they, because I, I've always been a fan of like the Young Lions tournaments when they've mm-hmm. had them in Japan, so to get a kind of equivalent of it in the American style was going to be interesting because I, I, I really enjoy Young Lions matches for the fact that they are kind of no frills, there's no fancy moves, no high flying. I love the fact that they're kind of forced onto restricted move sets um, to show that they're still learning, they're still up and coming, the basic black trunks. Um, and really to see sort of what, like a showcase of what they've been learning under Shibata, whose training from what I've read in interviews is pretty brutal, according to Gabriel Kidd. Uh, I'd imagine it would be as well. Uh, like Clark Connors in this tournament, who ever since I made that Joe the Hiltic Highman page's younger brother, I've not been able to unsee it since. But he seemed to be the most young lion looking of all of them. He had the black trunks, the black boots. He didn't have as much of a gimmick as some of the other guys in the tournament did. And so it seemed kind of set up for him. And it seemed obvious he would win his side of the bracket, and he did. But uh, it was interesting when we got to the semi-finals on the other side because we had Danny Limelight going up against Blake Christian, who I think were also both favourites uh, on the other side of the bracket. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're like the sort of the matches themselves. I love the whole sort of like they're compact, they're fast, they're straight to the point. I mean, like both semi-final matches, one was seven minutes fifty-one, and the other was seven minutes fifty-four. So I mean, they're, they're, they're bite-sized matches which don't don't have to last an age and a lifetime to tell a story, um, and it really is. I mean, this shows like these guys are still very early on, and you know if they keep going the way they are, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of strong potential for future big name stars coming into New Japan, and also guys who would be solid in the mid card as well. Yeah, they definitely have a given an eye out for like the future of, of New Japan. Uh, one match I was kind of disappointed with was the DKC versus Logan Regal because I quite liked the DKC but uh, he worked over Regal for much of the match and then Regal kind of got the surprise roll up and won but also he still had a bit of an injury which Clark Connors honed in on and they got the win in their semi-final match and I think between the two I would have probably selected Danny Limey to go through which he did between him and Blake Christian but I think the thing with Christian was that Kevin Kelly was making a big deal out of him on on contrary, he called him a dark horse pick to win. He even had a, a pre-match interview with him talking about, oh, he's all heart, he's, he won't let his rib injury get in the way, and he put in a good effort against Daniel Limelight. But I think it wasn't too predictable, but I think we could see Daniel Limelight and Clark Connors be in the final, but they delivered with a, a solid match for the final. I think the, easily the longest match of the tournament. Yeah, 12 minutes, 36 seconds, which, you know, by all means is quite a compared to some like New Japan like sort of tournament finals, it's quite a sprint compared to mm-hmm. most. But it was it was fantastic and 
again, Clark Connors picking up the win with the one of the most basic of submissions, a Boston grab. But I love yeah. it the young lines. There's no fancy, like, you know, as much as I love my technical style, ZSG, Jonathan Gresham, like crazy submissions and stuff like that that contort the body. Sometimes you just can't beat the basics. Like the young lions can make a Boston crab look absolutely devastating. Mm-hmm. Like we, it's the same like principle I mentioned about making the money clip feel like an important submission move. Like, like a lot of people talk about the walls of Jericho is one of the best finished like submission moves of all time, and people forget that basically all the walls of Jericho is is a Boston crab. But we've seen them use it for so many years; it's just kind of ingrained in our minds as a bit, as a great submission move. And I think in a way, Clark Connors is doing that with his. You know, double A plus grab the way he cinches it in makes it seem more like such a vicious move the way the fight it has on your back. Like Danny Lime might try twice to get out of it and then eventually the way that Clark Grant has reached wrenched back and cinched it properly in, eventually Danny Lime was in centering and had to tap out. So like they tease you that he would get out of it before eventually he had to just give up for like the sake of his back. And I think the thing with Connor is that he's been all no nonsense, no much, no fancy entries in front of the ring like most young lions, and like he's like been very serious about this tournament. And given that, like Carl Fredericks, who won the last uh, young lions club, is now starting to like get away from the black trunks and the black boots and start developing more of a character of his own. I think this tournament is a platform for Connors to eventually find his own character as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely, because that's it. Carl Fredericks is officially graduated from being a young lion. Um, the odd thing being that there's no sort of excursion like you'd normally get with uh, mm. the Japanese guys. But he's kind of like, he is making the big appearances. So for Clark Connors, I do believe this will be the stepping stone towards him. I wouldn't be surprised if they use a lot of their US stuff as a way to sort of build their guys up and eventually get them to make their appearances in Japan. And really just mm-hmm. do a very clever, slow build of their guys. No rushing them straight into things. Taking their time. Yeah, I mean, Logan Regal, they talked about he's often more of a, a tag wrestler alongside his brother. So I think they've definitely got plans to put those two in the tag division when uh, his brother is able to come back. Uh, somebody who I forgot to mention is someone, who, someone who's looked a lot more impressive than uh, I remember me when I saw him in WWE. Yeah, uh, the artist formerly known as Darren Young, now known as Fred Rosser, and uh, has been competing on New Japan Strong, and he's he's in remarkable shape. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is looking outstanding. I almost didn't recognise him when he first made his appearance. I was like, wait, this is this this is former WWE superstar Darren Young. He is looking ripped. Yeah, he's basically competing in tag matches, but. And he hasn't really talked a lot, but like for a split second, you don't remember being that like spectacular in WWE. But then you see him here, and how like good he looks. And you think like, like did I forget how good this guy is? Yeah, I mean, he's he's really he made a he made a great impression, and mm-hmm. you know, I I hope that leads to more appearances for him in the America in the American brand. And you know, if he can keep that momentum going, even get him over to Japan, it would be interesting yeah. to see him. See him sort of it's it's a fresh matchup, um, put him into sort of, like sort of like a new Japan Cup next year, or you know when they've got that kind of bigger field of thirty two. I'm interested. I'm I'm actually quite I'm quite sold on them. Mm-hmm. Going quickly back to some of the guys that we've seen featured on New Japan Strong, not just the guys that are in the the, the tournament, but you also you've got guys like uh, Alex Zane that have been competing as well. I think it feels like it's almost 
like a developmental thing that they're doing on Rouge Control at the minute where they're developing guys who haven't had a chance to prove themselves on a bigger, a, a really big stage yet. And then also during the G1 shows, you've got like the opening matches, like a, a Young Lions match where you've got Yuamura, uh, Suji and Giro Kurid kind of rotating in white singles matches. The unofficial C-block, as Rocky Romero's deemed it. So it does feel like, uh, while they've got a lot of like top talent throughout New Japan, they're putting a heavy focus on developing their young lines, developing their future stars at the minute. Who all when they they get out of their new Japan, their like young line status, you know they're gonna like like find their own gimmick and be big stars. Yeah, I mean Alex Zane. Um, I've seen a lot of his stuff sort of like outside of New Japan recently. I've sort of been catching what I can. I think he would be a fantastic fit for Best of Super Juniors. He's got a very unique. He's got a very unique and innovative sort of flying style. Um, thinking the best of Super Juniors, ACH. I wouldn't be surprised to see him make an appearance again for that. So I mean, but Alex Zane coming in would be some fresh matchups, which would be really fun to watch. I mentioned the uh, TJP earlier about someone for best of Super Juniors. He also uh, is currently working with Impact Wrestling, so it feels like Impact and New Japan have some sort of relationship where talent can work in both promotions. I'm hopeful for like some of the X Division talent they have in they have there to come a the best of Super Juniors, maybe one or both members of the machine guns to come over. Yeah, I mean like, let's face it, like the like the machine the, like the more city machine guns have got a long run in history with New Japan. Um Chris mm-hmm. Saban being in previous best of Super Juniors. So um I mean if they're still classed as juniors, would be awesome to see one or both appear um in World Tag League. Uh, sorry, not World Tag League, Best Super Juniors, but if they were a class as a heavyweight tag team, get them in World Tag League. That would be fantastic. Because, um, mm-hmm. I mean, definitely it seems like Impact, whether it's a working relationship or if it's just a case of they don't see each other as competition because of where they're based. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have had previous like, sort of things like when Sam, um, Sammy Callahan teamed with uh, Juice Robinson about two years ago in World Tag League, Death Juice. Which was mm-hmm. a completely random but absolutely entertaining team. <laughs> yeah, because uh, like I think a lot of people remember like Shelley's time in New Japan, like it's one half of like, the time splitters with Kushida. I think both the Machine Guns have won the Junior Tag titles together. I'm pretty sure they featured those belts on TNA even as far back as like 2009. So they have a history in that company. I do think it would probably be in both companies' interest, especially Impact, to have that kind of relationship. But we're just like fantasy booking, as uh, as some people and other people on the show like to do. But I think as with everything that's been going on, other than the G1 itself, and we'll be back in a week, week and a half time to look at everything that's been going on. Look at the people who made the finals, what we thought of the eventual winner, all the the G1. This the next episode we have will probably be on a Sunday, which we're trying to keep shows like this or Alba Gugats or a quiz showdown or uh, some other like bonus shows outside of the features in Central to a Sunday but given everything that's going on and also the fact that uh, we didn't have the fe- feature show had been moved a day we thought we'll still give you some content on a Tuesday as I said but we will be back with say uh, that at G1 show I'm surprised we went as long as we did on this show we went nearly around 55 minutes I have a feeling we're going to go like an hour hour and a half easily for the G1. And it is going to be brilliant. <laughs> I can tell you're very much looking forward to that. I am as well. Uh, I want to remind everybody to subscribe to Elite Suplex Retreat 
on all good Android podcasts and sites, uh, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. You can hear shows like this. You can hear our most recent feature show, which was looking at the uh, WWE draft, the history of the draft, the, uh, the first night of this most recent draft back, back on SmackDown. In tune in Central, me and Grant will be on this week's episode Central. Next week's uh, feature show will be all about the Bella Twins. The following weeks will all be about Hell and a Cell, the best and worst Hell and a Cell matches. Uh, we've got Quiz Showdown 4 on our YouTube channel coming. Next, next episode is coming this Sunday. We also have the Conspiracy Series. We have a new show that was announced recently, Book It. Grant has uh, recently been announced as taking part in that, replacing Alan Lucas. You'll be going up against Sarah Grieve. How are you feeling about that? Well, you know, I have no. I, I've came, I came in at the last minute. Um, mm-hmm. Based on the top, based on the uh, topic of choice, I'm in for a tough fight, but I'm going to give it my all. I'm sure you will. I'm going up against Trek and booking a TNA card using the talent from uh, 2007. So uh, I'm definitely. I feel like I'm definitely up for that challenge. Stay tuned for those episodes on their YouTube channel whenever they do come out. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Suplex Retreat. But uh, until we get until the end of the G1, we'll just say thank you for tuning in, and uh, I just can't wait to see what happens next in New Japan. Me too. It's honestly, this has been like Christmas come early for me. I'm so happy. <laughs> so am I. Goodbye, everyone.